very glad for your presence this morning. I consider it a great blessing to be here with you to worship the Almighty God. I pray that the time we have, we spend here today, will glorify Him first and foremost. And I know if we do that, we will be built up and edified and better equipped to face the world in the week to come. If you're a visitor, we want to extend a special welcome to you. We want to thank you for being in our presence today. We want you to know that our utmost desire is that one day we would all meet together in heaven. As a few of God's followers, that is our intention, to help one another along life's pathway. And it's my desire that the, the study of the morning will be of benefit to you and you can draw from it things that will help you in your walk before God. You know, God expects you and me to obey Him, to submit to Him as His creation, just as a father expects his children to obey Him. The Bible is very plain that we have all disobeyed God. Romans 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not a one of us that understands right and wrong has not fallen before God. When we realize this, the first step we must take is to obey the gospel, to humbly, real, to humbly acknowledge that we don't have the way back to God, but only He does. And through the blood of Christ and obedience to that gospel, we can have a renewed relationship with Him. As Ananias commanded Paul, by the will of God, in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, it says, And now why darest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? This act of obedience to God puts you in good standing once again with your Creator. But as any good father, God expects his children to continue to, to, continue to grow and mature. He doesn't want us to stay in an infant state our entire life. No earthly father wants that. The majority of the New Testament is written to help Christians grow to maturity. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Also in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That perfect will of God is that we would follow Him completely and that we would be a light to the world around us to bring others to Him. One of the ways that we as Christians grow and mature is by learning to control our emotions and not allowing our emotions to control and dictate what we do. At times, all children get emotional and act out. And as parents, it's our job to help them to understand how to manage their emotions. As Christians, God has shown us through His Word how He expects us to act and how we should use our emotions. And if they are properly channeled, they can be a blessing rather than a curse to us. And they can be a tool that will help us to glorify Him. As you look through the Bible, emotion is not a biblical word, but it's a concept that is found throughout Scripture. Webster defines emotion as a moving of the mind, excitement of the feelings, 
whether pleasing or painful, disturbance or agitation of mind caused by a specific exciting cause and cause and manifested by some sensible effect on the body. Some examples would be fear, anger, disgust, grief, joy, surprise, yearning, compassion, and sympathy. This excitement that causes a response from us can be from an endless number of things. It can be anything that provokes our five senses or anything that we take in, or it can even be a thought that that comes to mind. To some degree, we ought to be moved by these external factors. Good news, the birth of a child, poverty, death. However, we must be on guard against others playing on our emotions and removing our reasoning abilities to the point where we get caught up in an emotional frenzy and irrational choices and behaviors. We see in the very beginning that Satan has been manipulating mankind's emotions. Put yourself in Eve's shoes for a moment. Someone articulate and seemingly knowledgeable comes to you and tells you that you've been lied to. Not lied to by just anyone, but lied to by someone that you have put your complete faith and trust in. And they tell you that they have told you, they have lied to you, and because of this, you're not going to be able to reach your full potential. How's that going to make you feel? Angry? Frustrated, maybe? Maybe you want revenge? You may not believe it at first. You may pass it off, but it plants a seed of doubt in your mind. And maybe you stew on that for a moment, or for a while, or maybe many days. And then you, because of those emotions, you make a choice, and it's not a good choice. And you choose to go against what you know to be true, had you not been swayed by your emotions. You know, to a large extent, our emotions, the things that we encounter, are an involuntary response to an external stimulus. They just happen. Something ha- we see a car wreck, or somebody tells us bad news, and we have emotions. And there's things that we don't necessarily plan to have, they just happen. Just having an emotion is not sinful. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. It's the action we take or the inaction that we do not take because of that feeling or emotion that may or may not be sinful. If your feelings are not properly dealt with, your judgment becomes so clouded that you may do something that otherwise you wouldn't. You wouldn't have even had it in your mind to do it except for the feelings you're having. Satan uses our feelings against us today by planting seeds of doubt in our minds and hoping that we will allow our emotions to take control of our lives. You know, as the saying goes, and is often purported to be the way we should, we should do is just follow your heart. Let your feelings guide you. Let your heart guide you. We know that that's not a concept that's found in God's Word. But Satan would, would have us to be led by our emotions into thinking, acting, and believing in ways that are contrary to God's Word. What did Eve do? She believed a lie, the exact opposite of what God had told her. And I believe, in a large extent, it was because of her emotions. God doesn't leave us 
to sort out our feelings on our own. He knows it's not within man to direct his steps. He knows if we're left to our own devices, we will not find resolution to our fallen state. Over and over in Scripture, he teaches us how we can be successful in managing our emotions. This morning, I'd like to look at some ways that God has given us to properly deal with our emotions so that we can use them to enhance our service to him. But before we look at those different ways, and with all this talk about emotions, it might be, you might think to yourself, well, why don't we just get rid of emotions? Why don't we just put them in the closet and not, not deal with things in an emotional way? Why don't we just suppress them if they lead us astray? If we take this approach, we'll become dis disconnected from the people around us and we won't be able to fulfill the Great Commission commissioned by seeking and saving the lost, by telling other no others about the good news of Jesus Christ. How many people are going to be brought to Christ by a fence post or a bump on a log? If you have no interaction or no emotions or no emotional connection with somebody, are you going to be able to win that soul for Christ? No, you're not going to. How can you comfort your brother or sister in Christ that's going through hard times if you put your emotions in the closet and you don't feel compassion for that person and you don't seek out ways to help them through their crisis? The fact is, it's easy to be either extremely emotional or to be cold and have no emotion. The fight or the hard part is to find that middle ground, to find where we are both compassionate but also following God's will. You know, we're going we're gonna to make mistakes. We're going to get too emotional or we're not going to be emotional enough, but the fact is we need to continue to try. We need to continue to live as Christ would have us to. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5 says, Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. As is often the case, the best place to be is somewhere in the middle. And I believe the best example we can look to is the example of Christ because I believe he perfectly was emotional to an extent but didn't allow his emotions to lead him astray. Jesus was one who was warm, loving, and kind as he walked upon the earth, but he also stood for the truth. We see that time and time again. And he was always in control. We see him weeping with those that were faced with the loss of a loved one. In John chapter 11, verse 35, it simply says, Jesus wept. There was a, there's a time to weep. There's a time to sorrow with our brothers and sisters. As he approached the city of Jerusalem for the final time, he yearned for the Jewish people to turn back to God. He said, I wish you were, would have come to me and I would have comforted you as a chicken comforts her chicks. He yearned for them to have a relationship with their God. I believe the greatest example of allowing emotions to point you in the right direction or allow you to do what needs to be done is shown in the Garden of Gethsemane. In intense grief, as he prayed, the Bible says it was as were great drops of blood fell from his head. With great emotion, he still said, Not my will, but thine be done. He continued his course of faithfulness before God. We see his compassion as he dealt with the woman caught in adultery and her self-righteous accusers 
as he had self-control and he stooped down and drew in the dirt in John chapter 8. We see his anger as he went into the temple and found his father's house turned into a den of thieves. He showed disgust with the hypocritical scribes and Pharisees calling them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He showed tenderness and patience toward the little children brought to him as he taught. He showed love and concern for his disciples when he faced his own gruesome death in John chapter 17, knowing the, the full extent that he was fixing to go through of pain and agony. But still he cared more about them than he did his own well-being. And while he was on the cross, he looked down at his mother and made sure that she would be cared for while he was gone. You know, when we read of the parables of Jesus, we find stories often filled with emotion, like the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. The two men criticized in this parable were the cold, aloof religious leaders that did not have compassion on the man on the side of the road. Who was the one that was praised? The one that wasn't even a Jew. The one that had compassion on his neighbor and stooped down and took care of his every need. Or the story of the prodigal son, the rich man and Lazarus, and the hidden treasure are full of emotion. Christ was very emotional, but he always had his emotions in check because he knew it was God's will that he obey him and that his emotions would help him to obey his Father in heaven. Just as Christ allowed himself to be moved by his emotions, we too need to be touched by the things around us, yet in control of the response that we have when we feel those things. The four things I'd like to briefly mention this morning that I believe will help us to maintain a proper balance when dealing with our emotions are preparation, patience, a positive attitude, and perspective. The first being preparation. You know, a mind that's able to fight off the advances of Satan is a mind that knows and holds on to the truth in God's Word. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his mouth. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked." And to take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. At least three times in these few short verses, God references, or Paul, God through the Apostle Paul references his Word as being a foundation to that armor we're to put on. At the very first it says, have your loins girt about with truth. John chapter 17, verse 17, that prayer that we talked about earlier Christ simply said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's the truth of God that separates us from this world and sets us on course to follow him. Verse 16 of Ephesians, it say, of Ephesians chapter 6, it says, take the shield of faith. Well, what is faith? 
Romans 10, 17 tells us, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And finally in verse 17 it said, And the sword of the Spirit, which very plainly is the word of God. God's word is our foundation. It's our rock. It's what allows us to be steadfast in service to God. You know, if Eve would have held on to God's word as the Apostle Paul commands us to here in Ephesians, I don't believe she would have succumbed to Satan's advances. As we look at our emotions, the feelings that we have, our emotions are largely based upon our convictions. And our convictions should be based on God's word. Emotion in religious matters is the result, not the proof of religion. Oftentimes, the religious world has that backwards. When someone's emotional, we say they're religious. Well, that, re that emotion doesn't show that they're religious, but what they're emotional because of, what's the underlying cause for that emotion? Our emotion is simply a byproduct of our convictions. Deep convictions can and should move us to genuine emotional response. That's why it's so important that our convictions be based on the truth. You know, when I first graduated from college and I went to work, I had an office mate. We'll just call his name Bob. Well, Bob had retired. And, he, and as often happened, he was good at what he did and they contracted him back because of his experience and expertise. So he was an older man and I was fresh out of college. And we spoke, we talked, we had a good relationship. He was from India, and he was brought up as a Hindu. And he moved to the USA so that he could get his master's degree, so he could continue his education and get a job. When he first came to America, one of his friends took him out to eat. His friend suggested a local burger joint. So they went there, they got it to go, and they were eating in his, in his friend's car. Well, Bob said, man, this is really good. What is it? Well, his friend told him, it's beef. He said his stomach immediately turned, and he threw up all over the inside of that car. He'd been taught from an early age that cows were sacred and that you don't hurt, let alone eat, a cow. Well, he had an emotional response because of what his upbringing was. Well, his response wasn't correct because his upbringing wasn't correct. His response wasn't based on truth. It's important that we base our life and our convictions on truth so that the responses that we have, sometimes that are just a reflex, so to speak, are based on truth and grounded in the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23 says, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, God pounds the fact that truth is what matters and knowing and understanding and believing and acting upon the truth is what he expects of us. The preparation we're talking about is not just an acknowledgement that there is a God or a casual Christian in name only kind of knowledge of God's word or faith. But it's a zealous, open God's word daily, meditate on it, pray about it, Teach it to your children and when they rise up, when they sit down, when they go to, go to sleep kind of faith. It's one that bases their whole life on the entirety of God's Word, not just the parts 
that fit our lifestyle or that get us where we want to be. We submit to God's Word wholly and completely. If God's Word says do it, you do it with all your might. If it says don't do it, you flee from it. You run from it. You get away from it. When you prepare your mind like this, you'll know how God wants you to respond and react to Satan's advances, and your emotions will be in check for the most part. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. If you want this peace from God, then know his word and do what his word says. You know, Jesus prepared for 40 days in the wilderness, and then Satan came to tempt him. And I suppose Satan thought, him, thought that he had an advantage over the Son of God. Because he, he would have been extremely hungry and weak physically and thirsty. But Christ had been preparing for battle that entire time, his entire life. And each time Satan tempted him, each time he tried to hit him where he thought he was weakest, who doesn't want bread when they've been fasting for 40 days? Each time that Satan hit him where he thought he would get him an advantage over him, Christ drew his sword drew the word of God out and said, it is written. Every time, it is written, it is written, it is written. That's the same mindset we need to have when we are faced with emotional responses, when we're faced with trials in this life. Christ was ready, not by accident, but on purpose. We need to be the same way. This is a preparation that must continue the entire life of a Christian. As long as we have breath in our body, we must continue to strive to follow Christ. I would imagine one of the greatest trials of one's faith comes when they face their own death. Think to yourself what emotions this must bring out. Fear, regret, anxiety, doubt, the unknown. How sad would it be to make it through life successfully living the Christian life only to give up the fight at the end? That's why the Apostle Paul addresses this very thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He says, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be, cast, be a castaway. He said, I'm not going to let anything, not even my emotions, to draw me away from Christ. I'm going to be steadfast in my dedication and my service to God. The second point I'd like to make is patience. As with my office mate, many times our first response when faced with emotions is not always the best. We need, to we need time to process the situation and choose the proper course of action based on the evidence that we have and what God's Word says we should, how we should respond. I call to your minds James chapter 1, verse 18. 
James 1.18 says, Of his own will beget he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. God takes us into his family when we obey the truth, as we mentioned at the very beginning of the lesson. Knowing the truth is not enough, though. We must apply it correctly. Being a good listener is important. It's very important. But managing your emotions and in turn your response to what you hear is equally important. You know, today we live in a very fast-paced, always-changing world. We're bombarded on every side by many different things throughout the day. We receive calls, texts, emails, tweets, Snapchats, Instagrams, posts, and a million other different things, and that's just on our phones. And these things affect us. They draw our attention away from what we're doing, and they cause a response to us. Sometimes it's just, ah, oh well. But sometimes it's a, we may get angry. We may get sad. We may have a feeling of, you name it, and it's all because of something that we get. And we get these many times a minute. You know, we can find out what's going on 10,000 miles away moments after it happens. And I don't think that's always a good thing. As we see with social media, people try to be the first to comment on something or condemn an act or give kudos to somebody when they don't know everything that's happened. They don't have all the facts. A large amount of the time, their response is not based on the whole truth, and it turns out to be the wrong response, as you could imagine, when you act in haste. We don't need to get caught up in this frenzy. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 28 says, The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil. How much studying can you do when you respond to somebody before they even get their thought across? Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. What is your intention in responding immediately to something someone else has to say or do when you don't know all the facts? Is it so that they think you're witty and sharp? Is that what our goal should be in life? Is it so that people think that we're smart or that we have a, a quick comeback to everything that's said? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 11, Apostle Paul says, And that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Maybe it means we need to cut loose from many of the stimuli that bombard us and limit the amount of things that we allow to affect us. If it's not encouraging us to grow spiritually, it's probably just distracting us from fulfilling our God-given roles in this life and being a profitable ser servant, bringing forth fruit unto Him. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Well, I went the wrong way.
You know, we don't, as I said before, we don't need to be a bump on a log. We don't need to be somebody that just buries their head in the sand. But we don't need to know everything that every immature, spooled, famous person does or thinks at every moment of the day. That's not our job in life. And I would submit to you this morning, it probably doesn't help us to do our job to know all that all the time. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. You know, I said I had four things. I had five things, but for the sake of time, I cut one out. But I want to mention it quickly at this time. We should be quick to forgive. Holding on to things that people have done to us rather than letting go and forgiving and allowing God to take over. That if we do not forgive, then that that we hold will skew our view on life. And in turn, it will affect how we respond to things that cause us to have emotions. And in turn, it will cause us to make bad choices. I remind you of the verse from James we talked about earlier in James chapter 1. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Also Ephesians 4 verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. If not for any other reason, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. The third point I'd like to make is having a positive attitude. This is something that we each choose on a daily basis, how we're going to look at life. Are we going to be a glass half full or half empty kind of person? I believe Christ's emotions were greatly influenced by his choice to have a positive outlook on life. You know, unlike the rest of us, he knew exactly what his end would be. He knew the pain, suffering, betrayal, and rejection that he would face, and who would do it to him. But he still exhibited the compassion and mercy we mentioned earlier throughout his entire life. He chose to be an example of positivity. If anyone ever had a reason to be downtrodden and depressed while in this life, I believe it was Christ. He left heaven to come and be the, the doormat of all his creation to endure every heartache and pain that we deserve when, while not deserving a bit of it on his own. But he chose to bring light into the world and he expects us as his followers to do the very same. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How many people do you look up to and consider a good example of Christianity that are always pessimistic? That you say, hey man, I, I like your cynicism. I want to know how I can be like that and I want to know the God you serve. You're not going to get that. People aren't drawn to people that are pessimistic and downtrodden and have a bad attitude. We need to have a positive outlook on life because we're the ones that don't have to endure what we should because of Christ. When you choose ahead of time to be positive no matter what happens to you, your emotional response will tend to be more positive. 
Just look at the first century Christians. In a lot of ways, they had it a lot worse than we do. But time and time again, we see that they responded with cheerfulness, with joy when they were faced with persecution and even death. You know, as the apostles were put into prison, they didn't know what their next what the next turn would be. They didn't know if they would be brought out and beaten again and sent on their way or if their head would be chopped off. You know, in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are thrown into the innermost part of the prison. And the jailer was, was tasked with making sure these men don't leave, that they do not leave his control. So what does he do? He puts them in the very innermost part. You know, we see what happens to a jailer if he doesn't do what he's supposed to in Acts chapter 12. There, Herod commands those that were taking care of the prisoners to be killed because of their inability to take control of those that were put in their care. So he has a very, very important thing, and if he doesn't fulfill his task, he's, it's going to be required of him. Well, what did Paul and Silas do, Silas do at midnight? After they've been beaten and thrown into the innermost part, they were singing and praising God for the ability to be counted worthy of enduring those things for Christ. You know, what was the response that the jailer had? You know, he came down before them when they said, hey, we're all here, don't take your life. He said, what must I do to be saved? If they hadn't had that positive attitude and been an influence for good on him, do you think he would have asked, asked how he could have that same joy in his life? No, he wouldn't have. You know, sometimes I believe we somehow justify the actions of those in scriptures because we can turn the page and we can see the end. They couldn't at the time. When they're going through those things, they're just as we are. They didn't know what the next day would bring. They didn't know what the next moment would bring. And we need to remember that. But they chose to be positive, and we too need to choose to be positive because that's the only way we're going to be the most benefit for the cause of Christ and influence others to follow Him. We need to always realize, always keep in memory the fact that God's grace and mercy is the only reason that we're not consumed. When we realize the blessings we have in Christ and that we don't deserve a single one of them, the things we endure in this life will seem less intimidating and trivial and make it easier to respond cheerfully to the trials of life. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, talks about this. I'm only going to read in beginning of verse 38. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we have that mindset, there's nothing we can't endure for the cause of Christ and still maintain our ability to show others the way to heaven. And this leads me to my last point, and that is perspective. If we're going to properly respond to our feelings and emotions, we have to keep an eternal perspective. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9 says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Apostle Paul clearly says, if we don't have a home in heaven, then there's no reason why we all shouldn't be depressed and downtrodden and have no positivity. But the fact is, we have everything to gain in the world to come. 
John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Here, Christ is about to leave his followers. And he wants them to stay true to him and maintain the course. So what does he talk to them about? He talks to them about heaven. He says, Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus didn't shy away from the fact that his followers would have trials, would have struggles, would have persecution in this life. But what he did is he tried to prepare us to face those trials. And one of the ways he did that is by telling us of the reward that is promised to those that remain faithful to him. That reward is so great that Christ left heaven itself and came to this earth and endured the essence of hell while in this flesh so that we could have an opportunity to join him in heaven one day. Matthew chapter 5 verse 10 says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You know, at times we may feel like that heavenly reward, that kingdom that is promised to us is just too far away. That we can't put our hope in that because we've got so much else going on before us. And we get distracted. We need to have confidence that Jesus knows our every struggle. He knows our weaknesses. And he knows what it's like to be tempted. He's like an older brother that's already gone through the trials that we're going to go through. And he has encouragement and admonition and advice on how we can get through them as well. But it's up to us to ask him for that help. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice that the comfort and confidence that we should feel because of Christ being our high priest and mediator before God comes from the fact that he can be touched with our infirmities, that our weaknesses and trials in this life move him to act on our behalf. He has the very same compassion now in heaven before the throne of God for us as he did when he wept at the tomb of Lazarus, when he reached out and pulled Peter from the stormy seas, and when he looked upon the very people that drove the nails in his hands and feet and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God created us as emotional beings, but just having emotions is not enough. God expects us to allow our emotions to motivate us to a positive action, to greater service in his kingdom, to, go, to cause us to bring forth fruit to his honor and glory, just as Christ did perfectly. We need to help others in time of need, to care for the less fortunate, to show mercy to our fellow man as Christ has shown us mercy, and to teach the gospel as we have been taught. 
if we lack emotion or we're led solely by emotion, we're not going to able we're not going to be able to complete these tasks as God expects of us. This morning, if the story of the cross doesn't prick your heart and stir your emotions, I don't know of anything else that ever will. The question is, what will your response be to these emotions and feelings? I believe with the proper preparation, patience, and perspective, that your emotions will be a blessing to you and you will have the mind of Christ knowing how to keep your emotions under control and knowing how you should be moved to action in the service of God. This morning, if you desire to put on Christ, if you desire to take that step and become a child of God and enjoy the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus, many of which we've talked about this morning, or if you're one that has become a Christian and wants to come back to Christ because you've allowed the cares of this world to draw you away from Christ. Now's the perfect opportunity to make your wishes known. Come and sit on the front pew as we stand and sing the song of invitation.